Welcome back to the Audiophile Collective. So, the Darcys, Jason Coos and Wes Marskell, the two-piece Canadian art rock band from Toronto, Ontario. Their releases include their self-titled album, a cover album of Steely Dan's Asia, 2013's Warring, which was nominated for a Juno Award for Alternative Album of the Year and was a long-list nominee for the 2014 Polaris Music Prize, Centerfold, and most recently some singles, including 2019's Better Days and Melodramatic, and 2020's Boys Don't and Change. The Darcys joined us in our studios to talk about what they're currently listening to and what's inspiring them, film composition, their creative process, and really the Darcys through the years. Jason West from the Darcys, welcome. Welcome to Sheridan. Welcome Good to Sheridan Life Radio. Good evening. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Doing well. Doing well? Doing very well. Great. You guys have been spending a lot of time in the studio recently, I've noticed. What have you guys been up to? Just uh, it's right- where we live. It's our natural habitat. It's just a, it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of being. We're always, uh, we're always in flux. We're always making stuff. Yeah, I feel like when you're not committed to making a record and you're just making song after song, you actually end up writing more songs all the time. And then other songs for other things. And so, yeah, we've just been in there doing a ton of stuff, fighting, not fighting, enjoying each other's company, writing songs, writing songs. That, uh, we had a real great run there for like a month where every song was great. Yeah. And then we went back in and they were terrible. They were bad. So then we would spend time watching movie trailers all day and doing other stuff, you know, looking for inspiration. Inspiration. <laughs> you got to ride the wave. And then sometimes it's just. There's no waves. Well, you mentioned that you've been working on some other people's music as well. Yeah, we do that. We had we just had a song called So Blue come out last at the beginning of the month. Yeah. And it's an artist named Joel, uh, who's really great, kind of like young, young vocalist coming up in Toronto. And we worked on um, a new signee for Warner called Ferraro. They have a record coming out very soon as well. They have a single coming out, and then we did a bunch of tracks for that record. So that comes out soon as well. I hope that's not not no, that's announced. They announced that. And then yeah, just writing for other stuff, writing for, for TV. We'd be down in L.A. writing some stuff for TV shows. And so it's, it's writing. It's a lot of writing. Do you ever find that working on like other projects like that or writing for TV and film kind of uh, brings a different dynamic when you go back into the studio as the Darcy's? I think that every time you approach a, a different project, you know, when we're producing for a band, they have a sonic identity in, in a place that they're trying to get to with their sound. And when you're working on a uh, something for a TV show or or whatever, you know, it has its own brand. It has its own thing. And so you have to kind of you know, sharpen or kind of build new tools and stuff like that to cut, find ways to express different things, different sounds, different approaches. You can't just fall into your kind of classic uh, ways of doing things. And I think what if you're when we were just doing Darcy's music only, you know, we started to realize that we had certain um, – ways of approaching things and that's just the way we did it so i think the more that yeah we've diversified what we're working on it's really given us a like a much broader palette to paint with when, when it comes to our actual work and be much more deliberate it's also funny because i was going through i was cataloging we have so many songs now from demos that didn't get used or whatever else and i was doing some cataloging the other day and i was listening to versions of songs that we just sort of screwed up over time and that were really good and then we just overworked into these whatever songs. And I think that a big part of, I think you're your own harshest critic and it's really difficult to sometimes please yourself. We're even going um, through that with this mix right now where like everyone's like, this is the best song. And then you're like, well, then the mix has to be perfect. And it's like, 
will the mix ever be perfect? Probably it, not. Does perfect exist? And right. I think the answer but is it, no. <laughs> but it probably does. It's just you can't hear it. Like it's when perfect for this song, as far as it being mixed properly and great, is probably already been achieved. And now we're just like screwing with it. Um, but I think that once you have to please other people that have like won't pay you or won't put out the song or it's a waste of your time if you don't do something that they're looking for coming back and work on your own music. It's, it's a different thing. It's a, it's a lot easier to just be rewarded in like, Oh, this is what I like. This is what I want to do. And this, is how I want to do it. And I think it makes it a little more fluid. It made it a lot more fluid for us to be like more decisive about something and be like, Oh, this is good. And it's okay that it took a minute and not 15 hours. And maybe that's fine. Cause we did a song with this band and it's a huge hit and has a bazillion streams and it only took a day so why can't we do that back here so i think that it also brings a lot but a lot of light in that respect yeah, it's that idea of perfect you can you can definitely overwork a song uh like you were saying there oh we've um, broken a lot of songs yeah through the years from when you guys started the darcy's and like you guys did your first debut record and then you did the steely dan cover album and moved from there um ha- has much of the production side changed for you guys throughout that time working just, uh, you know, with a full band to then just working with each other? Well, we produce all of our own music right. now, and we didn't, uh, I guess, kind of doing Centerfold. Oh, Asia, Asia we did. Asia we did, but but Asia... And didn't, him for a missing girl. But we didn't, I don't feel like Asia, when we did it, anyone really knew what was happening with it. We were just doing it. We we definitely weren't like we're going to be music producers now and produce our own album. Or we were just we were just making it, and that's what happened. But I I didn't we even think a, we didn't even sign Arts and Crafts yet. We didn't know that like no, a we label a, was going to put it out. Like it was just like a project, which I think was fun. So it wasn't. I don't think we. Yeah, exactly. As Jason was saying, we were like, well, we're record producers now. And then halfway through Centerfold, a couple songs were just broken, and we had to fix them. And then we sort of recreated them. We're like, oh, we can just do this. We've been yeah. doing this the and then there was kind of a pivot around that time from like we can record ourselves well enough to communicate an idea to a producer so that they can make it sound great and as we got better and better at it and started to you know have the tools but also just like know kind of what we wanted and, and where we wanted to explore we started to like develop like go out of our way to really develop those things and and then yeah now we're we're producing all of our Everything, stuff yeah. and for other people and it's really helping us like I think rather than, you know, verbally communicate where we're at and what we want to do to a producer and help them kind of interpret that, it's a cool moment where we get to just like fully spend all the time, go down the rabbit hole, stay up all night and find those little things. And and I think more than ever, we have, we're going to have so many Easter eggs and like little fun, awesome things for for the listener to like really kind of uh, chew on. Yeah. There's something really interesting that I saw that you guys had did recently. And that was with uh, melodramatic. Uh, you did a French version of that tune. We, and, that came uh, out today. Yeah. So we did a French version of uh, better days yeah. and it was a hit, a top 40 hit on Quebec radio, the 29th most played song of the year on Quebec radio. And it, it came out in, it only had, it was only played for six months and it was like the 29th most played song still on the chart theoretically melodramatic will drop it off but uh yeah it was such a cool uh experience working with somebody to translate it to try to make sure that our ideas are still intact and then the support of quebec radio programmers fans was amazing and people don't do it enough i was gonna ask like yeah how that whole idea came to fruition with uh, better days to do that version and then uh was the plan originally to do it for a couple more tunes as well no the better days the first time we had a friend who 
is from Quebec City, and he was like, let's try this. Let's, you know, we were going to do it with friends originally, and then Leia w- wasn't available. They were on cycle or something, and we couldn't get it done. And so then we f- kind of forgot about it or shelved the idea until Better Days came around. And then when we did it, because it's interesting, it doesn't stream like that streams for French Can- like French Canada aren't massive. Even though there's a ton of listeners there, just us doing like a for English song isn't necessarily top of the stream list right. uh, the first time you do it. So it was a bit of a, we didn't know, like, will it take off? I say for English because it's the, the courses are in English usually. And, um, and then it works at radio. So then immediately, like with anything, you'll do it again, do it again. So I think there's, there's like, it's a, more we do. It's Sorry. a, a market that isn't necessarily in a, in a community and like a part of Canada that's not necessarily acknowledged by a lot of Anglophone artists. And so it's, I think it's cool to just like have that kind of level of inclusion to all of our music and hopefully bring people from that, that kind of like uh, musical taste in that world and that language over to our English catalog, because the truth is there's always gonna be many more English songs than there are. Yeah. For us. Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, one thing I really like to do when artists are here, uh, we'll get back, uh, in a little bit, but let's play some music here. Uh, I always ask the artists to pick a few tunes that, uh, are either influencing them at the time or have influenced, uh, music in the past. And one of them that you, uh, sent to me was Cage the Elephant, uh, with, uh, social cues. Uh, I just wanted to know why you guys chose that tune. I love that record. I think that record's great. I think that they needed like a comeback record. I think the last record didn't do wonderfully for them. I don't know who, oh, my friend Mark actually sent me that record. He said, check this record out. You'll like it. And it's so simple and so engaging. The content of that song is hilarious. It sort of speaks to like, uh, you know, being on the radio and writing songs for that platform and how people view sort of the existence of an artist or whatever based on certain tiny aspects of their lives that they know about via the internet. So I've always just enjoyed them. I, I would have put, I could have put any song, any of the first five songs from that record on that list. But I just, it's just effortless, fun, cool rock music. And, and they're an inspirational group, I think. Like, they they participate in the mainstream, but they're weird. And yes. they really, like, don't hold back in terms of being super quirky and original and unique. And I think that that is, like, the antithesis to the the kind of pop mentality where I think a lot of people feel like if they want to... Uh, grow their audience and succeed that they need to fit some sort of mold and they just do the opposite of that and i think that's super rad and yeah, confident this like avant-garde approach to modern pop music yeah he's so weird and we saw them at way home and he well he was one of the best farmers i've ever seen he's just bananas on stage running around so it was it was a blast so and i don't know why i didn't listen to them then and this record just fits my filter palette a little bit more than some of the bigger songs yeah, i think there. sometimes when, like we're, we're looking at what is rock and what what works in the alt world there's some stuff that is really cool and then there's other stuff that you know neither of us just like have any connection to or whatever and i feel like they they exist in that world in such a such a uh defined way like they've really found their own kind of stride with it i I I just think that's it's cool it all sounds awesome very cool all right let's just uh let's dig into it and we'll be back very soon with the darcy's Welcome back to the Audio File Collective. My name is Daniel. We're here live with Jason and Wes from the Darcy's. It's a lovely Wednesday evening here in Oakville, and uh, we just heard some pretty cool music. Man, I love that. Uh, I love that Green Twins record. Could listen to yeah. that all day. Also, uh, Little Dragon. That was one that you guys brought in. Uh, Timothy was the song. I had uh, never heard that before, and I, I really enjoyed it. So oh, Little Dragon is like one of my favorite things. I don't know. Like, they, I think 
the similarity between Nick Hakeem and Little Dragon and the thing that I love about both of them of like totally opposite on in terms of the like aesthetic spectrum, super lo-fi kind of New York sound and a super crispy, you know, electronic LA kind of sunny thing. But they're like artists that produce their own music and and they go so far into their world into their zone they fully like create their own universe in their sounds i just like that that's what inspires me i think more than anything just like not to actually recreate or like pull sounds from them but just like the mentality oh yeah it's exciting i mean like listening to to an artist like him you were mentioning like that bass tone how like clear and crisp it is like little little things like that can just give you a whole like treasure chest of ideas for for like you're producing and for writing and things like totally that. because i think that like sometimes people think about uh, what is a sound has a sound is is a good classically like is that a nice bass sound is that a nice drum sound but it's not always about that i think like when you're looking at the larger picture of a song and the recording it's about like how do we tell the story how does the, this whole thing fit together in a way that makes that that emotes something and so it was like that bass sound on its own would probably sounds horrible, <laughs> but it does this thing and it sticks out in these little riffs and this little turnaround and you, it just like gives you a little Easter egg, a little happy little moment when you hear it. And yeah, I just think that's that, that kind of like total vision of, of like a, a great artist that, that inspires me. Yeah, totally. I mean, certain, certain sounds can be so drastically affected by what's happening around them. Just like a note, right? Like a note can, can sound and feel completely different based on what's coming before and after it. So every little choice like that matters so much. Yeah. One thing that we were talking about earlier was uh, just like you guys doing some work for films and stuff like that. And I saw that you were working with the CFC uh, last year yeah. and you were uh, doing some uh, some composing. Uh, had, and is that something that you had done before? No, it was a, a relatively new experience for me. And uh, and yeah, it was it was really cool. It opened my eyes to that the kind of that side of things, that side of the film production world. It, and you know, music is post production, uh, which I was reminded pretty quickly. But you know, it's a uh, it's a, a way to kind of learn a lot more about the music making process because, you know, when you're writing a song, there's so many other kind of like uh, traditions and, and go-to kind of like processes that are, that are at play. And film has its totally its own history and its own conventions and all that stuff. But I think at the end of the day, you know, song or film, TV show, whatever, you're telling a story. And so like learning more tools, I mean, for me, learning more tools about how to express certain emotions and, and, and uh, fortify kind of like narrative arcs and, and represent things on screen helped a ton when we started writing our album because it was like, where are we? How do we want to feel? How does this character feel? What, what's going on around them? Like, how do we write the music to really not just like, this is a cool chord progression and this is a lyrical idea and oh, okay, that's catchy. And there's a song like that is totally valid way to, to make music and we have done that a lot but you know just trying to be a lot more uh, methodical around around the entire process is like yeah i think it kind of gave us uh, a a new edge well it's so interesting for, like writing for film because there's so many other elements that you know typically you might not have like you would maybe not think of which is like you know the backgrounds the sound effects all the sound design and trying not to step over each other with with the music with the score and with those sound effects and it's something like Dan you just started composing a little bit for film as well and uh, that was one thing that you were mentioning to me when you got started with it was just like where where do we actually fit this in and how do we work together to make this whole sonic palette work with the story yeah, you nailed it. Like it's so it's so easy to step on each other's toes 
and, and like get in the way. Like you have to look at at the uh, at the sound effects and the you know the the audio that's going along with the with the voice and and the music. You have to look at them as as two very important things that can work really nicely together or like re- really ruin each other's vibe, right? Um, so something that I I think is really fun in uh, in working with uh, composing for film is a very like non-musical idea over over certain dialogue or or a or a scene just to create suspense like that's what's so so interesting about about music and film is it doesn't always have to be that musical like you can just create suspense through an awful sounding note or an awful sounding tone from a synthesizer things like that is that something that you guys have have dealt with as well when you're uh composing for film uh yeah i mean i i kind of see all all these ways of making music as the same thing okay like i, I don't Maybe I'll yeah do more sprawling atonal kind of dissonant stuff if it's a, a a film project rather than if we're writing a song for ourselves or or someone else. But it's all about fitting all the things together. Always, it's it's how do you make the instruments work around the vocal so that because you know the vocal is like the it's like the dialogue and picture like that's more important than for the most part working pop music. That's way more important than how cool your guitar riff is that the coolness of any individual part does not matter if there's no communication happening of, of the narrative in, in connection with the character on screen or the character you're embodying as the, the vocalist is whatever. It's all about creating these personal connections and helping people um, reflect and, and identify and, and feel the thing that the person is feeling. And so, yeah, I think it's the same with a song. Like, you know, you you want to have the beat and you want to have this and that and you want to get all these things in there. But they all need to work together for a similar goal. And I think that, like, over the years of our, our progression as the Darcy's, it's been like when you start as a band, it's a cool way to to learn about music and about yourself and touring and stuff like that. But I realized, like, our, our process has changed so much from being about everyone that plays an instrument has an idea and a riff or whatever they want to do. And then you find a way to make all those things make sense to just like starting at the other end of the, of of the intellectual game. It's like, what are we trying to achieve? What can we do to get there? The individual pieces don't matter. The the ego is not involved anymore at at that level. It's like more about just end product. I guess I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but maybe just working as a duo, uh, when you guys bring your song ideas to each other, um, how does that process work? Uh, like, do you, do you guys write like acoustically, and then you're like, "Here's the idea, and here's the idea that I have for the production of it." Um, anything? Well, I, I think that what Jason's talking about is something that we really, I think we tried to articulate more in our process this time around. And if we usually start with lyrics first, it's usually the way that that happens. Um, it's usually the catalyst for. I, I think, I, and I'm very wrong when I say this, but I think beats are a dime a dozen. You get Everyone's got beats. You got beats, you want a beat, you can get a beat pack, you can get beats, you can get a, something. And for us, I think Jason could come up with a bunch of starts for songs, but I don't know if we would have that catalyst to actually start working on any of them necessarily. And for us, and that's just our process. And, and often the lyrics come first. And this time around, it seemed more that we were connecting very specifically the tone of the music and the landscape of the music to the lyrics where before I think it was a little more, we got lyrics, we got a riff, we got a beat. This is a song. 
And I think that with Centerfold, there was a flow and a dynamic that worked. But this new record that we're working on, I think it's it's much more intertwined that way. And I think that the songs are more successful as songs and even songs that aren't as traditionally poppy, I think succeed more for people because they make sense as a unit and not like, oh, this is a very strange and abstract lyrical concept over like a 140 BPM like dance beat. Right. Doesn't work. And and so we, I think, were able to do stuff that was a little further out uh, on the horizon than normal for us, but because we sort of put in that effort to make them sort of coalesce that way, it made it all make a lot more sense in our sort of both in the universe as the Darcy's and in the universes that we're trying to create with um, this record, which none of that answered your question to answer your question. <laughs> we usually uh, have lyrics and we'll bring them in and then we'll sort of riff on them uh, to try to create some sort of sonic landscape, be it via it's usually not guitar based. I'd say yeah, one we time. did recently write a song on an acoustic guitar and that is like a one in a million for us that never happens it's actually two because we did we wrote better days oh it's true on a guitar and i much to my chagrin i didn't i wasn't feeling it i was just like just 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 play a riff and just go and i was like oh i don't want to do that we were struggling and we had to get a song for radio and we were working on that song it wasn't working i was like just play the guitar man just like plug that thing like it was like basics but like we never like plug a guitar and then like play a guitar and then that song went and did really well for us, and it was all great. And Jason was like, "God damn it!" <laughs> so then now, anytime I'm like, "Split the guitar," which I never do because I don't like love guitar anyway. No offense. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, right. in, a, in a practical <laughs> sense, like we, as we're talking about building these worlds and these tones and whatever the picture, like that's a time thing we spend a lot of time on. Is if we're if we come up with something we like tonally, we. And we're building that universe, then we save it. And then sometimes instead of going to like, like I was saying, like we don't pick up a guitar and strum, strum along unless the, a very specific guitar tone has something to do with something in the song. So it's not, you just kind of like not walking into a conventional, you're just saying, how are we like, what's, what's the thing? Like the other day we used this weird flute that for some yeah. reason got us really excited about playing in this certain range and the way these notes are working together. Like what, where's that flute? Like maybe that'll start us today. To call back though, to the thing Jason was talking about is I had this idea for a song sort of tie the record together and we were going out somewhere. Jason came over. I have this really old like fifties Gibson archtop guitar thing that I don't even know where I got it from. And I know more a uh, guitar thing, but it's nice. It's good. It's a nice guitar. And um, <laughs> but this shows how much I value guitar as a thing in the world. Um, and people would murder for this guitar, to be honest with you. Um, but Jason just picked it up and strummed some chords, and that's basically the basis for the entire song. It's this vocal in this guitar part, and there's some extravagant production later on in the song, but it's just very much like this cowboy chord guitar thing, kind of like Elvis Presley vibe, which is not really us, but it worked. And we're like, this is great. And I think that those, it just sold the song really well. And yeah. it made sense. It's just easier to get that song because everything's working together. Yeah, we talk a lot about instinct. And sometimes you have to work and work and work and work and beat the details out of something to get the song where you want it. And sometimes it's just there. You know, so there's no one way. 
it's interesting that you're you're talking about all these different instruments and and such and bring bring all these ideas together because also last year you guys stripped it back a little bit with uh, when you guys released Hurt, which was uh, you guys did a piano version of that. Yeah, um, is that something that you guys do very like think about doing very often? Just just stripping everything back just to its bare minimum, just to get back to the original basis of whatever the lyrics were. If a song's not working, well, it's the true test of the quality of the the composition. I think so. I, would, I would agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that, and I would have agreed with that more like six months ago. But we have a couple songs on this record now that aren't traditional. I don't know how they would hold up on an acoustic guitar or on a piano. But I think they might be the stronger songs on the record. And and that's not to disagree with you. I just don't know. But we do do that because we're always looking in the era of streaming, like, oh, you have a stripped-down version, piano version, string version, whatever. So we're always doing that. And we tried to do it with a song, and it didn't work. And I think that that might have been maybe the avenue we were taking to create that version because we didn't want to just do another piano version. But it just didn't sit the way we wanted it to. And I don't think that's a knock at that song because I think the song worked and that's why we decided to go after this idea. So I don't I don't know. I, I think that we do strip it back and we do look at songs that way and evaluate them. But like I think like some of the songs on the record are like based around like samples and sound effects and, and not really like a loop and not really like a chords and not really like okay obviously they're based around chords but do you know what I mean it's not about the chord progression right. that's not where right. that song came from and they and they work and it's a it's a great song I think I hope but it's that's not how it breaks down and I, I I don't know if you agree but like you know there's a few of them yeah well I think that I think that we kind of walked into this saying so goodbye to convention there's no one way to do things there's no rules like it's kind of like is this are we painting a picture we like and do we like it? Because at the end of the day, that's what the beauty of it you is. don't know if it's going to be successful, if people are going to like it, if it's going to make you money or make people hate you or whatever. <laughs> when you sit there in the studio, the only thing you really have, you have, yeah, you just go, you, I, do, do you like it? Like, I, I like it. It is very funny. There's often that time in this session, like, do you like it? Do you like this? And it's like, <laughs> And you can always tell me, like, yeah, I love it. Or like, I don't know, do you like it? <laughs> and you're like, ah, maybe we should move on. Maybe we should move on from this song. So something that I've noticed, I mean, and, and of course the listeners of the Darcy's have noticed over the years, is there's been like a, a very drastic change in, in the way that you have, have played and written, or maybe not written. It's not, I'm not there when you guys are writing the music. But it's very it's very apparent how like the, the uh, styles have changed over what you guys are playing and what you guys are digging. Um, and with that, like music technology has come so far as well, like over the past few years. There's been like such a huge shift. I mean, you guys just did your sample pack that you released. Uh, was that last week you released it? I mean, um, I'm looking forward to digging into that. Actually, um, how does how does music technology and and like things like this in, inspire and excite you guys uh, with the writing process? I think that just technology in general. Like, I remember like writing lyrics on like a in a book, like, which is ridiculous. <laughs> I almost did it. I almost oh, swore. Was- it's freaking ridiculous, but. Now it's like you get you fire up a Google Doc in a session and everyone can edit in a different mm. color and it just and we can all see it on whoever whatever's and, got their phone and, and like, if you like cool. have a, an idea you don't know you just can like throw it in there and somebody like that's great or no one says anything you just like slowly delete it <laughs> and so yeah like music productions come a long way and I think that also Jason's um, grasp of it has come a long way which has allowed us to produce our own records uh, and and our desire for more clarity in the production and in the music but just generally. You know, like Jason can strum a guitar part and and text it to me, and like and then I can have an idea and set it back, and it takes like 
a second. We don't have to be like, we need to get four days together in a cabin in the woods and see the only way <laughs> we're going to write like a record, which, you know, like remember when the postal service made that record it was huge. It was like, they did it through the mail, <laughs> through the mail. They did it. <laughs> in and 20 years, someone's going to like hear that story and be like, what's the mail? Yeah. What <laughs> are you talking about? <laughs> but it's like, if email, th- there's no story there. <laughs> now because they would just email the mp3s to right. each other and which waves. like everybody does yeah so yeah. like it doesn't yeah, yeah. and so like i, w- I don't want to get too too into it but i've been working on the song or this record with a friend and like we haven't even, we've never we have five full songs we've never been in the same room working on it ever and that's so common with people yeah like, people work people work like around the world i mean whether it be on a film or, or or a song together and it's it's kind of interesting because like like we were mentioning earlier like like a piece of gear or, or technology uh, or like even just like a presence, like with being like being with someone in a room, like ideas can just like come like that. Just mm. as you were mentioning with the guitar, um, like how you just grab that, that Gibson and, and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, well, here's a tune. Like it, it's cool to see how, how like the presence can just change so much, like an instrument or a sample pack or, or someone being in a room with someone, you might play something different. I like that you got people. high hopes for that sample pack. Yeah. It's going to change your available life. on lander.com. <laughs> well, it's cool. I think, it, I think it's neat that people like, you know, like sharing some ideas and sharing tones, just like we were talking with, yeah. Nick, with Nick Hakeem. Like you might not want to, I might not download like a pack and be like, okay, now I'm going to make a bunch of Darcy songs, but like you can draw inspiration from, I think from that's the only sounds. thing. And I think that, yes, we can all say that we don't even need recording studios anymore. We just need a laptop and, and, Yes, you can make amazing music on a laptop alone, for sure. But it, there's still value in that Side old guitar and in, in that going to that studio or going to the cabin for four days once in a while. Because there's like, I think no matter what it is, you just need to get that spark. And if you just have that same old acoustic guitar you've had since you're 13 and you don't even pick it up anymore because you've played every note and every chord and sang every song on it and you just don't give a crap about it, then no songs are going to come out of it. And I'm not saying go out there and buy stuff, but at the same he time, loves, like, he, he, he wants, I like buying he, he wants to buy yeah, stuff man. all the time. Because exciting. it gets me stoked. Our and band owns like, a lot. Even <laughs> like a, yeah, even like a little reverb unit because like it sounds different and I want to play differently and then I sit there and write some stuff and, and to me that's worth it. But it, that's yeah. also a privilege, you know, like that we, yeah. Hey man. So. Yeah, I mean, like being being in a different studio space can can inspire so many different things. Like the gear that you have available to studio space, like that might be the reason why you choose to go to X studio versus another one because of the cool live room, the way the instruments are going to sound. The history there. of the room, like who's played there before, what records were done here. Yeah, and there's a certain kind of like uh, beauty in like in he, being in a room with a really loud amp and a, and a microphone picking it up, and like being in the room with the energy of sound coming at you where you skip that step when you plug into a computer and you, and you do that. Yeah. I mean, so there's a balance to, to be achieved. There's no, we haven't put an amp on the last two records, so. <laughs> but I feel you. I think you're right. I think that's true. Like, I think we would definitely make very different things if, if we were doing that. And, and that's not to say that we won't or that we made the right choice. It's just a different choice the way we chose to do it. It's just whatever works for you. I think that, you know, if, if uh, Billy Eilish and Phineas can sit and, do it on logic with all stock things and like a cheap microphone. Awesome. Unreal. That is yeah. so cool. But it, and if someone else wants to go record with an orchestra and spend a billion dollars on it and it turns out to be amazing music. Great. That's you found your way of doing it. I just think it's like, there's no rules. I also like uh, the sample pack stuff. I also think is really cool because it, it allows other people to do and create things. And I think that when we were growing up in a band, it was like very competitive. 
you know? How'd you get that sound? I yeah, don't know. Yeah, I just, uh, I found it. Hey, what's, on, what's on the board? Oh, I'm not telling you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's my board. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I don't know, like there's people so much higher than us on that list that are, are putting out sample packs now. And it's like, if Tiger Woods gives you a putting lesson, it's not like you're going to win the masters, right? Like he's yeah. just giving you some knowledge. And I think that that's really cool. And I think there's a lot of stuff out there and you can pull from five different sample packs that are so fundamentally different and end up making something super cool, which is a unique way. And I think that a lot of interesting music is going to come out of the next little while with these this opportunities to blend stuff that you would never create on your own. Cause it's just the feel of some person in a room doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, for some listeners who, who may not be familiar with this, uh, in 20, was it 2013 him for missing girl came around or was that 20, yeah. 2013, 2014? No. For, I don't know. 15. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think it was uh, after warring. When did warring come out? 13? So it was after Let's go with 15. I'm going to go 14, 15. Okay, 14, cool. 15. I, with this, like, Doesn't matter. There's it's 11 laptops in this room. We could have figured that out. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting instrumental record, and it's, a, it's, it's got a wild concept. There's like quite a lot of movements in it. And uh, as a fan, I've just always wanted to know a little bit about where that, where that came from, where that, where that wild monstrosity of an instrumental tune came from. I'm time traveling to a dark time <laughs> in my life. Wow. We, so we had made self-titled and then we'd made Asia and then we signed arts and crafts and we owed them a certain amount of records. And so then we did warring. And then I think because Asia felt like such a companion piece to the self-titled record, we were like, we should do something as a companion piece to, um, mooring. And, and then I always think of the Christmas song as a companion piece to centerfold just to keep the trend alive though i yeah. think that that's a bit of a stretch um <laughs> i'd say but uh, I support it we were warring had some we were, i was reading a lot of Corbin mccarthy and jason and, and we, we was also when we were watching a lot of cowboy movies or whatever we were doing and there was a section at towards the end of the third book yeah that we just identified as maybe a cool thing to essentially soundtrack the, it was the kind border of the border trilogy by Corbin mccarthy cool and so we sort of sketched out the movements of what each sort of scene would be like in the music based on sort of the content of the novel. And the novel is actually like a photo of the, like it's a gold photo. of Yeah. When you open up the LP. In the LP. Yeah. We somehow came across a first edition of the the heart. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So we found that and it's like got a cool brand of his name and stuff on it. So we put that in the package and then we went to, this geothermal farm, like outside of yeah, no, noble, no, noble, yeah, no, I don't know, Gray, Gray County, Gray kind County. of northwestern, Gray Highlands, area, I guess. Gray Highlands, yeah, Gray Highlands, and next door to Edward Bertinsky's place, and this person had a farm that they uh, had modernized, and then they had this barn that they had not modernized mm-hmm. and they yeah. just wanted to offer it up to someone to do some sort of creative project yeah so it wasn't a studio it was just a it was not a studio no. no we took every single oh, cable and awesome. power bar and microphone <laughs> in any sort of like interaction with the elements ruined to take and there's the entire b side of the vinyl is this rainstorm because they had a co- yeah. copper roof that is just <laughs> so loud and it started pouring rain two of the days we recorded it and Jeez. it was just so loud and i remember this is an aside that somehow it was like nominated for Juno or wasn't because of the length of the song. They didn't count the melody underneath the rainstorm because it wasn't audible enough. 
So it knocked off like three minutes of the total of the vinyl. Right. And then next year they chopped like 10 minutes it. off so the total. So it would have been eligible like, oh, for an instrumental oh, album of the year. Oh, which not that they would have got nominated or anything, but, but it was just, that would have been such a yeah. wonderful moment, you know, because that was such a weird and creative experience. Probably the most creative thing. Definitely, yeah, because we kind of set out this uh, this concept of saying like, you know, it's it's as if you, you were adapting it for a film and writing a screen so like screen it. treatment or a script. But instead of doing that, we were writing the try to represent the narrative, the story, the place, everything that you would, you know, see with your eyes. But like but, scoring a book, really scoring a book. Cool yes. concept. Exactly. Yeah. So like char- different characters would be represented by different instruments or certain instruments would be used to indicate mood. And, and we're it fluctuates in tempo and time signature and texture constantly because it's like with the ebb and flow of this just this passage this unbroken passage in the book and there's like a fight in the passage there's a lot of doubles like two drum kits and two guitars they all inter are yeah, all the, interwoven the double stuff. drum sets is a very cool sound yeah and they like yeah. link up and it's unreal yeah it was a cool thing we worked with a guy that we went to high school with who worked on asia hmm. and i think that the label didn't trust us to make a record with him so we had to and we used the Sky Tom McFall, was a wonderful person, but when we went up, we, we asked him if he wanted to go up and work on this thing. I think it was just like a week, four or five days. Yeah, I think we went, yeah. I don't know. It was We had sketched a lot of it out ahead of time, and we did a lot of work afterwards right. as well, but but the bulk of it, all the drums and the real like heavy concept work and stuff really happened when we were up at this farm. And it was cool to be immersed in this kind of natural landscape and be taught, you know, the, the setting of the book is, you know, uh, in Mexico and it's very outdoors and very kind of uh, like a raw landscape in a harsh climate. And so it was cool in the hottest kind of part of summer to be up there. And you hear yeah. the crickets and the cicadas. And it was just part of the entire experience. And, and then we, I remember we went to New Zealand. Red Bull sent us to New Zealand to start working on Centerfold. And we were with this guy named Sean Everett who's like, since not because of us in any way, but he his trajectory as a producer is just, he's doing the killer's record or whatever right now he's, he's just, got oh. grammys hanging off every yeah, finger at this point yeah he's doing great and but he's just a wild and zany guy and one night we couldn't sleep because of the jet lag and he was like what is this record on your spotify and i was like oh it's this thing and we he listened to the whole thing and then he was like we should have done this record if you need this record remixed <laughs> i'll remix this record and he just went on in, there is no way in some universe where Sean works on that record that's the yeah. wildest record ever in the history of music. But uh, one day I hope that we can get him in a studio for a little while to do something like that because it would just great. be such an, an amazing experience. And he is he he makes the Casey Musgraves record, so he's like down the pop route now, but he loves that stuff. And I always think about how incredible Matt did an amazing job, but how incredible it would have been to work on that with Sean. Yeah, for sure. I think I think that the biggest thing that we learned from working with Sean Everett was you know that there, there's don't worry about convention. There's no tempo a song is supposed to be. There's no whatever. There's no type of beat that makes people like your track more. Like just make a wicked cool song. And uh, and I think that that kind of mentality is something we got onto. So Boston, wicked cool. Wicked cool. But uh, <laughs> it's something we got onto when we started working on, on him for Missing Girl because we were just like, there's no, there's no song structure. There's no conventional kind of like format. There's no con- conventional ensemble. It's just make some crazy audio experience happen yeah i'm all with you with that i mean that's that's my that's always my approach is whatever whatever works like it's it's about honesty it's not about trying to follow a certain structure or idea i feel like when you when you set a goal and say okay this is what i'm going to do 
with this song uh, and it has to be this way your limits are just set like you're, you're in this like all of a sudden you're in this tiny little box and it can be really hard to like move around in it and when you just decide i'm gonna do what feels right i'm gonna i'm gonna go with uh with my gut you can create something pretty wonderful. So, yeah, totally. I, I will say, and if you have any questions about the new record that I could try to evade by answering in really broad statements, I'm happy to do that. Uh, <laughs> the new record has so much more of the him for Missing Girl and Warring stuff than yeah. you would ever imagine, even though there's like some real heat on the record as far as singles are concerned. There's a lot of that has been brought back in, but it sits so differently in this cool. like new world. So I'm very interested to see people, especially like knowing that record or, or, or the older stuff, the sort of blend of the two of Centerfold and Mooring and, and everything in between. It's no Christmas song. I think the, I think the greatest <laughs> validation. Yeah. The greatest Halloween, validation. We're thinking about a Halloween song. In the long run would be like if someone created some like really elaborate, like like hypothetical situation with like some sort of conspiracy where they tried to figure out like how all of our records connect and are telling some greater story. Like I, I encourage someone to do that one day. Cool. Make me very happy because I don't know how they all connect. <laughs> we'll dig into that for sure. Yeah, we'll do some the subreddit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you guys have a plan for a single coming out off the record and anytime soon? Uh, anytime we can look around in the next little bit? We are finishing the record. Okay. That, that's the big thing right now. And trying to, uh, wait, is this still, am I still on? You're on. Oh, You're okay. on air. Uh, is this on? Is this thing on? Um, has it been on the whole time? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're finishing the record right now, and we feel very good about it, and we're very happy, which is strange. We haven't made a record in like four years. By the time this comes out, five years, I guess. Wow. Um, and and then, and we really, really at the, the towards the end of November and December, we changed the entire face of the record, and it four maybe four songs came out that really changed the sort of sound in the universe and then we tried to go back in in january february we were in la trying to work and i guess it's february now but we couldn't and then the other day the song this last song just popped up that just seems like it's destined to be on this record so every you know you you think you're done and like it, it pulls you back in but we're close and so we have to sort it out i might i don't have the bandwidth to emotional or otherwise to put a single out and not have this record sort of like in a place. Right. And I think there's always an elasticity to it being done, but the core of it is done and it just needs to be done. Plus factor will revoke all the money. But it's so <laughs> weird. It's so weird because some tracks are mastered and some tracks we haven't finished writing. And you know, it's just like, there's no, it's the wild west, but we have a deadline, so it will get done. All right. It We're always does. Really excited for it. Uh, it has to come out soon. There's a deadline. I just said that. Oh, sorry. I was, te <laughs> I was texting. I was texting. People are like, listen, yeah, there must, be a, there must be a deadline. I think there's a deadline. I'm pretty sure there's a deadline. It is going to come out. You know what? So <laughs> don't forget to eat your vegetables in this. Uh, and don't smoke cigarettes and wear a bicycle helmet. Yeah, don't get scurvy. <laughs> Definitely not scurvy. Do you like that one? Yeah, I like yeah, that. was I not bad. That. Were you on that one? No, no. Uh, you weren't the pirate. The, no, <laughs> I, wrote I it. wish I was the pirate, yeah. but... We all wish next we were the time. pirate. Yeah, it's gonna be our next record, pirate themed. Oh, can't wait! <laughs> Let's do it. All right, guys, thanks so much for coming in, and uh, we'll let you guys get out of here. But uh, yeah, again, thank you so much, and it's been a pleasure talking with you guys. It's been a pleasure. Oh yeah, we had a blast. Oh.